0: Piano from Femme Pharma, and you're listening or possibly viewing and listening to the Love Mia Vita podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Juliana Hauser, and she has been a frequent guest on the Love Mia Vita podcast because she is so popular among our listeners. So Dr. Juliana, welcome. For those of you that may not have had the pleasure or the privilege of listening to Dr. Juliana, let me share a little bit about her. Dr. Juliana leads conversations about relationships, agency, sexuality, intimacy, and so much more. You'll find that she is very approachable. She's actually funny. She's also really smart. She studied and received her PhD in counseling education from the College of William and Mary. She is considered a thought leader and expert who often has the very difficult conversations that all of us ought to be having. Dr. Juliana has spent decades counseling individuals and couples and supporting them on their paths to discover self-confidence and agency among other things. The jewel of Dr. Juliana's offering is something that she refers to as revealed. It's a course and you are welcome to check it out By visiting her website, dr-juliana.com. So welcome once again, Juliana. We are going to talk about communication and more importantly, what the best communication practices are for couples, because we often forget that we need to communicate with our, our partners in slightly different ways than we would communicate with our colleagues or our friends, because of the kind of intimacy, hopefully the kind of intimacy that we have established. And we don't wanna take take that for granted. And let's face it, sometimes we do, particularly if we have matured into a relationship, we may find that the way we communicated when we entered the relationship has started to change and possibly not in the best ways. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, um, <laughs> something that was surprising to me and what i learned was the number one cause of divorce is often bad communication wow mm-hmm.
1: yes i mean and it's it's amazing to me how critical it is for our relationships yet we have uh we do not have easy access to support and getting good skills we don't get classes about it uh, we're not exposed to it unless we're we're seeing it. Like we're l- lucky enough to see it in our own homes or for surrounding people. We just happen upon it. And that's communication skills that we would have just across the board for ourselves. But then when you partner with somebody, you have to match your communication style and skill set with their communication style, exposure, and skill set. And then we are surprised when it's so hard <laughs> to do it. Because we often partner up with things outside of communication and we take communication for granted. We also think that communication is static. It's not. It changes. We don't always stay with our same communication skill level. We can regress in our skill level and we can evolve and evolve um, in, a, in a way almost beyond what our partner is. Those things absolutely can happen. And that is making the assumption that we were even given a baseline of, uh, in which to operate on what is a healthy and effective communication. So I'm excited that we're speaking about this today. It is a place where I start uh, and spend quite a few sessions with when I, when I work with couples. Because if we don't have this foundation, then all of the detail of what is bringing them to work with me is really difficult to get through Uh, because if they can't communicate effectively in our sessions or with each other, then it doesn't matter what the presenting problem is.
0: You know, it, it affects pretty much every aspect of your relationship. So if you happen to have children, your children learn communication styles from their parents if you are thinking about the ways in which it may impact your friendships, the ways that you communicate with your partner may either open up dialogue with your friends or could also shut things down and certainly has an impact on our sex lives. So it's it's a fundamental that we often take for granted. And again, we sometimes become a little lax in the way that we approach it. And some of the basics, for how we communicate and how we open up a dialogue should be pretty obvious. We were always taught open-ended, right? Questions, Mm
1: -hmm. because that invites, right? It invites conversation. It's true. So open-ended, they, uh, and it's a skill level to be able to even understand what that means. And so what we're looking for with that is you're asking a question that really can't be answered in a yes or a no, or that opens up um, a paragraph sort of answer rather than a very short answer you also like w- why open-ended question is so important is that they're not leading. There are ways that we can ask a question and communicate with somebody that we're really just trying to get the answer we want to hear. But if you're really wanting to understand your partner or to really get um, a, a whole wide range of information from them, if you ask it open-ended, you may get things out of that that you had no idea to even ask for.
0: So when we when we have these conversations, it's common you know you you come home from the end of your work day and you say how was your work day that's a then that's not an open-ended question that's it was good or it was horrible more importantly what happened during your work day that was really great tell Mm -hmm. me about tell me about your work day tell Mm -hmm. me about your golf tell me about lunch with your girlfriends tell me about the kids today. What what's going what went on? Mm-hmm. As opposed to how was your day? <laughs> Good,
1: bad, it sucked. Right. And we learned that lesson uh, very uh, quickly with our children. Uh, I've learned when I asked uh, my daughter about her day to say, uh, tell me about a time today that you laughed. Tell me about it and being specific, but also still open-ended um, so that you can hear what you want to hear, but also just open it up for stories or or, or details that you wouldn't know to answer. And, and how, what that means for the person receiving that. Um, is that you um, you are letting them know it matters it matters Uh, what uh, what what I what I want to know about your day matters to me and I want to hear what you'd like to share in that and an answer that is good fine nothing really that doesn't add the communication bonding that you're wanting to have with open-ended questions.
0: You know, the the temptation is also to then talk over your partner. Well, let me tell you this. Let me talk over you. And so you're really not listening. So, hey, Juliana, tell me about your day. And before you
1: finish your sentence, well, let me tell you about mine. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that, that way that just shuts down that this was never really about them. It was just, just a performative question or the politeness that, you know, to ask somebody, but really it's like, I want to tell you about my day, which then it's okay to do to say that, but then you want to follow up with when you have bandwidth to hear, I will have something I'd like to share with you.
0: So oftentimes we, we get in, it becomes a power struggle, right? So one or the other partner gets into a power struggle and so if if you're talking at the same time you're really not listening right and that really shutting down that conversation also implies that whatever you have to say is more important than what your partner has to share with you and that's that really shuts down the communication and it's it doesn't seem like it would be a, a great practice although it ha- let's face it it happens Um, The other thing I wanted to tease out a little bit is sometimes we ask, we ask those open-ended questions and that may actually bring up topics or issues that we regret. Um, So I I wonder if, you know, sometimes we ought to process this a little bit more before we actually open up and regurgitate everything that's sort of annoying and frustrating about our
1: partners. Mm -hmm. So you're speaking specifically to when uh, a conversation gets brought up and then all of a sudden we are doing everything in the kitchen sink as a part of this conversation part of this conflict. yes that is one of one of the uh, tips that i give of do not bring up all of the history or even multiple parts of history when you're trying to address a specific conflict that you're in the midst of it does not work it isn't effective emotionally isn't effective logistically and you will then get so distracted and emotionally filled that you're not gonna be able to get to the understanding part of what's going on for, for each other. You're not gonna be able to hear each other out and you're gonna turn it into a court of law argument rather than it being an argument that is team approached and solution focused as well. One of the things that, that I like to say, um, part of that is, is when you're specifically looking into conflict, my one of my favorite tips is, you need to be listening to understand not to be heard when you are listening to your partner, um, when their part when your partner is giving their perspective of a conflict or even a story, whether it involves you or something else, if and often people will say, yeah, 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 I'm doing that. But if you are interrupting, if you are interrogating by multiple questions, if you are just chomping at the bit to give your perspective, like so I'll have some people, I'll, I'll watch them argue in front of me in session. And they'll say, I don't interrupt. I was like, well, technically you do not. <laughs> you're right. If we were to have a stop watching between when they stop talking and, and you are talking, you're right. But it doesn't matter because you weren't listening to even half of it. Even if you can regurgitate what they said, that also doesn't say you were listening to them. You were listening so that you could take notes to argue in a court of law. And that isn't about resolving anything or about communication. That's about winning an argument and being right. And when you get into that part of communication, you have already lost the point of why you are speaking and sharing with one another. So listen to understand.
0: And and that gets to things like bringing up topics that you regret because you're not really, remember this is a person you know well, you know what their Achilles heel is, you understand what's in the backstory, And some of that may be some baggage that you shouldn't bring up again. It really doesn't speak to the heart of the person that you claim to love and wanna partner with, and whether it's resolving a conflict or talking about kids or parents or what have you. So gotta be careful with what we say to our partners and the way that we say it. So we we have to really think with with our brain, but also with our hearts, right? Mm -hmm. So with an open heart um to be receptive to them and, and so that they feel safe in having those conversations with us. So that that brings me to the part of um how you express care for whatever your partner
1: may be sharing. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it, you know, it, yeah, I would go, go back to the point of if you say something you regret saying if you bring up, if you if you just get yourself caught up which all of us have had those moments that if there was a recording of us arguing it would be mortifying to see how we stooped uh, what level we stooped to and if you fall into that court category or when you do then the first thing you just ha- you just have to call it you have to count, call it ask for a timeout ask for a do over be accountable for it ask for grace it's It's amazing that for most people, if you do those steps, if you're just like, oh, I just stepped in it, I'm sorry, that that is not how I want to show up for us., um, I'm just not, I'm not my best self. So give me a minute and I'll I will come back or I, I'm really sorry for saying that. that 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 broke through agreements that we've had in conflict those kinds of verbiage make a, make it go a very long way. In fact, what I've seen that do is really deepen the connection because now everyone has the space to um, reset themselves. You feel safer when you have a partner that can be accountable when they don't do things right. And you know that not everyone has to be perfect, that if you're not perfect, that you all can show up in that way. So I, I, I find it to be quite powerful and a part of skill, a skill of of being accountable and learning how to truly apologize when you have made a mistake and bring up things you shouldn't or saying things you shouldn't. That also lends it to there should always be, you should always have agreements. I I don't use the word rules, but like you should have conflict or communication agreements. And I, I keep it to three. You should have one that is a deal breaker. Nobody does it. And I don't mean deal breaker as in divorce, but like deal breaker isn't like, oh, it's a wreck or scratch if somebody breaks it. So this should be the most sacred thing. And it's different for each couples. I have some couples that if they're married, the number one thing is you can't throw out divorce. You can't throw out, this isn't working. You can't even intimate this. This is just a conflict, not an overarching thing. I have another that they have a particular cuss word and if you say that word, it's like, oh, mm-mm. like this, it just takes it from here to here. So they've learned not to say it. Then you have two others. So you had the deal breaker that is completely sacred. And then you had the two and three that you just know as a couple It's that t- soft point. It's the, we don't go back and hit history that has been resolved. We don't bring it up. And there's a whole plethora of things you can choose from, but I keep it simple to three and you all keep to that. And if someone breaks them, uh, it is, it's a time that everyone gets the reset. You apologize, you're accountable. uh, And then you get back to when you can start playing by the rules uh, again in this. But it's not meant to shut the
0: conversation down. Oftentimes we hear, okay. I'm, one party shuts down and you can't have a conversation and you can't improve the conversation if you shut down so somebody breaks one of the rules it's not to say that conversation over it's reset re-engage because silence is not golden silence stops the conversation so we i, I love what you said about i think you said three things that really resonated with me one is having the rules, which I really, which I love. And I, again, whether it's rules or sort of, you know, what are the boundaries? You know, what what constitutes a place where we have to reset and start over again? Um, mm-hmm. Second is about empathy, trying to put yourself in the, in the position or trying to wear the other pro- person's shoes. How mm-hmm. are they feeling about what I just said? Mm-hmm. And, and then doing the mea culpa, right? Oh my gosh, I cannot believe I just did this. And then the third one is what we just talked about. We just don't stop the conversation. Just keep going, but start over again. And mm-hmm. remember that it does take two to make the conversation. If one person stops talking and stonewalls, you're done. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's the, you know, we hear about, you know, don't take your, you know, don't take your argument to bed with you. Mm-hmm. Try to figure it out before you actually go to bed. No, Again, don't necessarily go to sleep mad, right?
1: Right. Well, I sometimes tell people it's it's okay to not have a resolution. Part of communication skills is to learn how to how not to have a resolution to it. But that where I where I tweak that advice about don't go to bed bed angry I think people have misunderstood that means get like stay up to three in the morning just hashing it out and then exhausted you fall into bed if you've figured out some way to resolve it I, I disagree with that I think you can table it it is it's very powerful to either agree or disagree to yield to the other on this if it's not you know this really huge important thing um, or to say we're not getting anywhere. One of, one of the couples that I work with, they made a decision. They don't do anything well before 10 a.m. or anything well after 10 p.m. So they have a 10 to 10 rule. Nothing of matter gets spoken about before 10 or after 10. And I thought that was brilliant, especially for them. It, it, it really worked. And so if something didn't get resolved by 10 o'clock, they figured out how to table it. They would get back to um, confirming and affirming their relationship and say, I mean, ding, ding, ding at 10.01. We'll get back into it then. But we're we're pausing uh, for this. Um, I I want to describe one of my favorite exercises to do with a couple, and this is um, this is for anyone who is at a place that they have found they have a pattern. They have a pattern in a certain topic of always having conflict with it, or not being, or they have a certain event that they can't get over, something that they have repetition in. This I I we do this exercise. It may sound simple. It can be very difficult, and it's extremely powerful, the insights that come from it, and there's three parts to it. So there's an issue at hand. They're always fighting over this one thing. So I had them get out a piece of paper, and I set the timer for three minutes. You have three minutes to do the first thing, and that is You have three minutes to write your side, your perspective. If you were preparing to put your side to this in front of a tribunal, then what would you need to say? What would what what points would you want to get across? And they just write furiously like this is my side. This is my side. This is my side. Then we set, reset the timer right after that for another three minutes, which is you have to do the same thing, but from your par- partner's perspective. And you have to write as long or longer than you wrote about yourself and your perspective. And if there's anything that you don't understand, if you don't know, if, you, if you're confused about, then you'll say, do not know what they think about this. I'm not sure, about that need to ask about this as you're writing that part of it. Usually what I find is when they get to that point that they aren't short of understanding they actually know a whole lot where their partner is coming from but and and i see often a softening it's rare that there's this long thing about their side and this little about their, although it kind of comes off that that way really what it does is it usually makes them feel quite empathic which is the point that you had made previously like ah this is why they think this, this is why they're seeing it that way. And I see their, their consonants just change. And then we said it right again at three minutes. The last thing is what does this relationship need for me in this topic? So how do I need to show up for the relationship? What does this relationship need us to do or me to do differently about this? And in those three places, there will always be insights that come up from it. And you go, you share them uh, with each other. They read it. And then we work through the insights that come. And it is very difficult to leave that that exercise without something changing in that pattern. Uh, It's really powerful. And you can do it in a lot of different ways.
0: I like the idea of writing this down. It sounds like a great exercise. I'm going to try it with my husband. Because oftentimes it may be difficult to articulate, right? Mm -hmm. in you know... In this format right so when you're you know in your oral communication but if you write it it's more thoughtful and perhaps the transparency and honesty component mm-hmm. can be more evident if you're writing it it's sort of from the heart you know telling a story this is how i feel so you don't put that on your partner it's how you feel mm-hmm. here, here are the things that i'm feeling here are the things that you're feeling but the transparency and honesty it sounds like it would go a long way to facilitating the next the next level of communication
1: mm-hmm. and it's it's really powerful when you have when you have when you all are dug in on a topic and then you hear that your partner has been listening to you all along because a lot of times what people end up doing is they have three or four things they are fighting over a bit underneath what the actual topic is And so it's been years of not feeling heard. It's been years of your your emotions not being validated. It's been years of your partner doing the same thing over and over again. But when you then hear that partner that you're so frustrated with say, I know, he did it, did, it, did it. I know he need this. I know that he's, he's, he experienced this in childhood or I'm tweaking this in it. And they're like, "Oh, you were listening. You never acted like you've heard it when you were talking about your part to this every single time. It's, it's pretty incredible because that's really the basis of communication is letting the other person know that they matter to you and whether, what, Not just who they are, but how they feel, what they need, what they want. And when you do this exercise and you include from their perspective, that is a way of doing it. Now, the other thing is sometimes we don't understand it. It's why we're in a conflict. So after we go through all those three steps, I teach them how to say after they do their trial of trying to understand their other person's perspective, tell me what I got right. Tell me what I, what I need to tweak. Tell me what I missed on this. And then I teach them how to zip it and listen. <laughs> like really listen. It's not, again, a performative question. It is like, this is what I think. I think this is what you're saying. I think this these are your feelings. I think this is what you need. Did I nail it or did I miss it? And even asking those two questions, again, soften somebody and they don't have to feel like they're in a sparring max with you. They can then say, no, that is missed, but it's not with the same emotional intensity or anger that they may have had when they're fighting for, to be heard and valued. Um, they already feel that. So now they can just get at the, the, the issue and become more solu- um, solution focused uh, instead of winning.
0: How important is body language in all of this? Because let's face it, you know, you're having this conversation, you're writing these points, one person's rolling their eyes, then they're, you know, they've got the arms crossed, they're contorting their neck, they're, you know, so we've all seen that, right? Yeah. Whether it's with partners, kids, you know, friends, colleagues, how important is the body language in all this?
1: Yes, it's, it's. The second source of communication is the nonverbal. And actually, like when we are learning to be therapists, we have a whole class on nonverbals, uh techniques of, of how to communicate nonverbally with our clients and how to pay attention to our, our uh, clients nonverbal. It assuming that everyone can read social cues. And there's a lot of people that perhaps are on the spectrum or neurodivergent that have a different way of reading social cues or giving social cues, which is again, I see quite a bit of this, that everyone assumes we we communicate the same way non-verbally. That is erroneous, that's not, not true. You have to learn the the communication style, nonverbal style of your partner and really find that out and not make assumptions. For instance, I cross my, my arms all the time. It's just a comfortable way for my body to be at rest. And it actually, it actually means that I'm very, like, this is how I'm going to listen. This is, this is me telling you, I am so engaged with what you're saying. I've learned to override it because I know the general belief is if you close your arms, you are closed minded to it. But if I'm not thinking or I'm not in professional stance, that means I'm really listening to you. But partners could look at that and think, oh, she's so closed off. So you have to learn each other's perspective. And again, I, I would say this too, this isn't as hard of a fast rule as I had with the other three but you need to be very careful um eye rolling um even like guffawing or which isn't nonverbal but it's still like it's not communicating words and feelings and thoughts but just the, uh, like mm, 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 mm. like those those kinds of things are they say a paragraph and they are not to bond they are not to deepen a communication and intimacy. They are meant to do severance, or they are meant um, to uh, be a bit subversive in it. But there's also positive to nonverbals. There are ways to give affirmations with people. There are ways that you can nonverbally communicate. I'm listening. Um, I, this is, this is one that when I know somebody is really telling a story, I put my hands over each other and clasp it on the, like near my neck. That's my way, especially through like, uh, virtually, uh, that you can communicate. I'm with you. I'm hearing you. I'm listening to you. Um, I have a tendency to cock my head uh, to the side. That is a nonverbal. It says, I am so in this, like what you're saying matters more to me than anything else happening uh, right now. Those things can be quite powerful too. those have paragraph communications as well.
0: So when you're having these conversations with with your partner the showing respect for the way in which they receive your message is also really important. And you know your partner. So assuming that, you know, this is not somebody that you just met and you know you, you know, spent a year with if it's somebody that you have been partnering with for a number of years, you know what their body language looks like, you know, when they're upset, you know, if they talk fast, maybe that means something. If they're slow, if their head nods, I nod my head all the time when it makes show of affirmation. But if I'm looking at my phone or doing, making, you know, gurgling noises or, you know, other obnoxious remarks, your partner also knows that too. And, you know, they're doing that thing again right? Which means I don't respect you. I don't agree with you. So it's important that we are very mindful. What I'm hearing from you is we're very mindful of those signals, nonverbal signals that we're giving our partners that either show, yes, I love you. I respect you. I didn't know that, you know, you are my person or the opposite of the converse, which is you're, Pull a baloney. You know, I don't know I don't, a word you're saying, or you're making this up, or it's more
1: histrionics. Um I think it could also mean a third thing, which is uh this is a cue I'm not emotionally regulated. And or or I'm not a safe person for you to be communicating with right now. And so I think we should look out for those things for ourselves, like, oh, I'm not communicating I'm safe. I'm not communicating that I have my act together, that I'm emotionally regulated, or if we're seeing that our partner, like this isn't the time. And you can either just choose to to end the conversation and to move into another place or to not start it uh, or deepen the conversation or you can say hey um there's a topic that i need support in or i need us to communicate about i can tell you don't have the bandwidth right now Um, i need you to let me know when you have the bandwidth for us to get into this conversation it's really important and we need to we need to show up as our best selves to this conversation
0: And how important is, you know, I know you counsel uh, couples on, you know, sex and intimacy and agency and how important is, you know, we talk about communication Mm -hmm. and how that plays into intimacy, sexual
1: intimacy. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's pivotal and uh, when I again like it doesn't matter what topic that a couple is coming to me about I all over there is specifically about sex and sexuality or if it's about something that is outside of that we have to talk about communication because whenever we are looking to grow an intimacy emotional or sexual intimacy with another couple with, with another person in our in our relationship we have to do this through communication. And again, in our sexual connections, we have nonverbal and verbal ways in which to do so. Now, what I have found through my years of doing this is that sometimes we have a a different communication style or skill set inside of sexual connection communication versus outside. Uh, It's pretty amazing to me. I mean, some people have it that it goes both ways with this, but there's some people who they can communicate really well about parenting or about household chores or about uh, conflict, but they don't have the words or the communication style to say what they need sexually or vice versa. They are seamless non-verbally in their uh, their sexual connection, but kind of a disaster outside of that. So again, we don't assume, I don't assume that they have that. And so when we're looking at sexual connection, I just put the same skill set but into the the verbiage of what do you need? What do you want? How are you feeling? How do you check in with uh, your partner? And then I add in consent. And I, and I always talk about consent no matter how long people are to, short or, or long in a in relationship because how a couple negotiates consent uh, in, in a sexual world um, really says a lot about what they are naturally used to. Um, and for a lot of people, it's nonverbal. And uh, and that is an important piece of this, but we're always looking to be able to have direct communication in our sexual world, too. So I,
0: you've given us some really outstanding points to think about. And even as we work through this, whether it's, you know with our partner alone or with a third party, when is it time to bring in a third party? Because let's face it, there, you know, there's a lot of you know opportunity for some unfair fighting. Issues that may arise, you know, could be that there are arguments that are not fact-based and there's suspicion and that creates animosity and it's not it's not able to be resolved with a couple of loans. When when
1: is it time to seek a third party intervention? Yeah. That's such a great question. And I'll start off with now. I, I actually, I really do love the work I do. So I love all my clients that are coming to me. I think my favorite people are the ones who are saying, I want to get it better. I want to make my life better. Uh, but I will say I, I smile even extra harder when a couple's coming to me and they say, we're just wanting to, we just want to, really sharpen our skills and we're not in a crisis. We have a great relationship, but it's been a bit and we want to like bring it in. It's like either we're going to read a book or we're going to hire a therapist for some sessions. Those are, I love that. I think that's a beautiful way to do it. So one way is you're not in crisis. And when you're not in crisis, you actually can then work on those things and you have a skill set, you're you growing a skill set in your toolbox to use when a crisis comes because it will come. Uh, the other end uh, is uh, when you are in a crisis. Or you're in a pattern that you cannot um, get through or you are at an impasse with each other and you can't see each other's perspectives. You need an outside um, view of this and you wanna find somebody who can give an objective view or can give you some pointers of how to get something specific. Or you're at a place that you have no idea if you all are well matched anymore and you need someone to basically come in and do a relationship audit, which should start with communication style. And and that leads me to something that I wanted to say previously, but it adds to why you would bring someone else into it as well, which is, and this is something that I like, I offer this to my clients and and I like it when, when other therapists do this. And I say that this is something you should do in your relationship too. And that is, I always ask my clients, um, do when they're telling a story or they're bringing me into a conflict, do you want me to witness it? Do you want my advice? Do you want my thoughts? And there are some therapeutic orientations that do not believe in giving opinions or that a therapist should, they believe the therapist should be neutral and just reflecting. And that's wonderful and valuable. It's not my style. Um, I, I give my clients the option of me giving an opinion. And then I say, and you do it with, you want. You know, you've heard me say like, I believe in having advisory boards and your friends and that kind of stuff. I think that a therapist is someone who could become on your advisory board. They are not the expert of you, but they have an expertise and they have an opinion And that should be something that you do with your partner. So if you're coming to debrief about something, get into the habit of saying, um, I just want you to hear, I don't want solutions. I actually don't want your thoughts. I just, I need you to vent. I don't need it to be a wall. I really need it to be, I want you to know this, but then I just need a hug afterwards or a high five or or whatever, or like, hey, I need you to listen to this because I need your opinion. I've kind of lost perspective and I'm gonna ask you like stake a claim on this. I don't want you to think I have to follow your advice or your, 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 your opinion on this, but I'd like it. And then another one is like, would you team up with me? I need you to team up with me on this. Like, I don't know. I don't know. And I I feel at a loss in this. And and can we like roll our sleeves up together on this? And Those three categories, communicating that, or if your partner doesn't think to do it, say, hold on, on, on. what do you need for me in this? Which one do you need? And we hear a lot of saying like, don't just go into problem solving, but I like doing the three-part par- three um, uh, question to this. And I think, again, if you're needing advice, if you're needing thoughts, if you're needing to be witnessed, a therapist, bringing someone else into that is a good time um, also.
0: Great advice. This is, this is really great advice for improving our communication. It's not intuitive. We have to practice it we we practice communication skills just as we would in business or with friendships and if you think that your partner is often the person that you know he she they are your person you want to be respectful you want to listen um you want to listen with your heart as much as you do with your rational brain you want to listen with an open heart and those are all important in terms of driving this forward i believe that those are some of the key points think before you speak, you know, we talk about unfair fighting. And I, I, I think that you, um, you know, you addressed it. I, you know, I call it, you know, hitting below the belt. Um, it's, it's unfair fighting. Uh, it's bringing up topics that probably, you know, this is where we draw the line. This is our boundaries. And when you do that, asking for forgiveness and doing that mea culpa thing is really important. What are the three things that you want our listeners and viewers to take away?
1: I want you to understand that communication isn't always natural. I want you to know that it is is something to practice and something to learn, and it it should be something throughout our our lifespan. And I'll say real quick, I uh, I saw this TikTok video that there is this dance competitions that you enter solo. And right before uh, you, a song is played, they partner up two people that have never danced before, and they play a song they've never heard of, and they have to on-the-spot choreograph a dance. And when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is going to be hilarious. you know? They're like, and, and it wasn't. It was beautiful. It was fantastic. And it was all communication-based with their bodies, sometimes with their faces, but they're not speaking at all. And some move into it with such incredible grace, or they can find these moments in the songs or with each other. And other times it's quite clunky. That is how communication is. And and if you look at it as in this, this is something we can learn and grow and that there's a a complexity to understanding it, then it, it isn't this, I have to look out for myself and I have to fight you on this. And I have to like, to really defend who I am as a person, as opposed to here we are, let's just, isn't this something, let's just figure this out. That really helps put perspective, which is the second part is, it is so easy to lose perspective uh, when your communication isn't happening with ease and be careful of that. Um, I, some of, some of my clients, this makes sense to do is I'll, um, I'll say someone should appoint themselves the maturity patrol. And if, and if you can get your act together sooner than your partner, you get to plant the flag of maturity control and then it helps bring humor to it. It helps bring perspective. And, and most people want to get the maturity award first. Uh, And so if someone's losing it and really showing themselves in it and the other person, not as a, like a, you know, like a mm, smugness, but like, I got it. I'm going to tell Dr. J, I got the maturity patrol on this one or or whatever it, it is in this pattern that you have with each other, it, it makes a difference because there are situations, there are topics that of course really matter and that it, it, it is something really to take seriously, but I, I would say it's a very small percentage that fall into that. The rest of it is just kind of BS that we're fighting about other things and we've lost perspective. So it's it's not necessarily natural, we need to practice it. Second is, is that you need to keep perspective, have humor, have some lightheartedness um, and not feel so in control of things. And, uh, and then if you can learn and master the skill of accountability, it makes a very big difference no matter who you're communicating with. Um, having that kind of integrity, holding yourself to that standard, And not being a person that people ever describe as having a hard time saying you're sorry um, is is really pivotal. That doesn't mean that sometimes it isn't hard (laughs) to say you're sorry. But if you can be, and that's again, that's not being overly accountable. Don't say you're sorry for everything and don't take on responsibility from someone else's behavior. But when you can give a genuine apology that is reparative based and is authentic and is is also gathered in accountability it's um you have you have upped your communication and conflict resolution skill level uh, to a place that most people haven't achieved
0: great advice from dr juliana hauser as always it is a pleasure to have you on the love mia vita podcast to our listeners and viewers For those of you that um, need to listen to this a couple times, uh, you'll be able to do so because this is going to be, um, this is recorded, of course, you can listen to the audio portion or you may also be able to listen, do the video and audio portion and Dr. Juliana's uh, information will be contained within a podcast or excuse me, within uh, a content on our blog. So you can check out the blog on our website, which would have uh, all of the key points I'm going to practice. I, I think we all should we all need to practice communication skills. And I'm sure our partners will be very grateful for your advice. So thanks again, Dr. Juliana. Thank and you. remember, those of you that are viewing this, listening to this, to love Mia Vita. Thank you, Jerry.